I invite you to open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read the last several verses of the chapter 2, it's going to finish what I've sort of deemed this first section, which really is, isn't much more than just the first two chapters and kind of dividing it that way. I hope you understand that uh, these uh, letters that were written, they did, not, uh, they did not come or they were not sent originally with you know, chapter and verse delineations, they were simply letters written to a group of people. So uh, if we were to read them in their uh, more original context would be to simply read them as a letter, to uh, get rid of all the verse markers and all the chapter markers and just read it through uh, as it was written. Uh, but for our purposes, at the end of chapter two, and we're going to read them, uh, it is going to close a little, little bit of a section. I've, I've been encouraging you, and I uh, don't know if many of you feel any more confident in your memorization of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the first uh, 10 verses, those were, I sent them, I gave them to you in a card, and we've had a couple of months now to work on them. I'm going to ask you to continue to work on them. We're going to take a little break, actually, uh, from Ephesians, uh, not real long, but just a short one. Uh, I'd like to do a little, little focus on Christmas. It is a, a, a good season for us to celebrate the coming of uh, Jesus Christ um, in a, in a uh, you know that last song we sang, Behold Our God. Uh, in a very real, literal sense, when Christ was born, uh, we got to, humans got to behold God, right? He is the image. He's the uh, uh, exact imprint of God, the nature. He's, he is God, and he became God in flesh when he was born. So I want to take some time to focus on that. And then I want to start us off uh, at the beginning of the year with a, a theme. If you know, uh, if you've been here for several years, you would know that I have uh, often done a, an annual theme. I actually did not do one this year. It was kind of weird. Um, I don't know, I thought it was kind of weird, but I, I didn't, uh, uh, I was asking the Lord what the theme should be and nothing really came about. And I don't know, it just sort of seemed like it was, a, I don't know, it was appropriate. Our, our, does anybody know our last theme we had? This stretches you back to a couple of years. Anybody remember what it was? It's, not, it's okay if you don't. Yeah, back to the basics. Um, which, uh, again, I, I didn't plan these things because I had no idea that we're going to have a, a COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. But uh, it seemed like a very appropriate theme. And maybe that's part of why we didn't do any different theme is because things were still sort of going on. And it just felt like that's really sort of the appropriate uh, response on our part is that we're supposed to go back to the basics. We get all worked up about stuff that's happening out there and here over here and over there and down here and all kinds of stuff. And our life, get, uh, probably for most of us, our life felt pretty upended, and maybe continues to feel a little upended. Uh, so a good reminder for us just to go back to basics. Anyway, all that aside, I have intention, if unless the Lord changes something between now and January, to, uh, which is entirely possible, but uh, to, uh, to make a, a focus to this next year. And I don't, I don't really have any kind of catchy title other than it's, it's from the Great Commission from Matthew chapter eight, uh, 28. Uh, so it's to make disciples. Um, and I'm planning on focusing on being a disciple and uh, making disciples, so bringing people in the kingdom, and then teaching disciples. And we're going to spend some time about, uh, with that next year, and I'm going to share a lot more about that as we get there, but I, I didn't need to say all that this morning, just to kind of get you alerted to sort of where it's going. Maybe you're not like I am. Maybe you show up every Sunday morning, and whatever happens to be preaching, that's, uh, preach that's what you like, and that's just fine, doesn't really matter, but my brain doesn't work that way. I like to know uh, sort of, I, I like when I like having things laid out. I like to know what to expect. I like to, pre I, I do those things to, to, that you can prepare yourselves. 
Uh, we're going to enter a season of preparation for the coming of Christ, and I am hoping and expecting that you'll participate in that, not just on Sunday mornings for 45 minutes or whatever that may be, but uh, that you prepare yourself. You spend time at home with your families, individually, preparing yourself. What does it mean that Jesus came? Anyway, so we're going to close up a little bit uh, with uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and it really is a finishing off of what he has been moving us towards from the very beginning of the letter, quite frankly. But we're going to read verses 19 through 22. Let me just read them for us today, and we'll jump in without further ado. Uh, I enjoyed our sharing time this morning, and I don't want that to lessen, so I'll do my best to... uh, Uh, keep us on track as we move through the sermon this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That was sentence number one. Sentence number two is verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God, we come to you this morning. It is our belief, it is our stance that it is your word of God that you've inspired through your Holy Spirit and it is written for our benefit and for our purpose, which means we want to learn from it or we should say we want to learn from you since it's your word. Would you teach us this morning? Would you open the word? Would you help me to say the things that I need to say? Would you just impact us or bring things to mind directly by your spirit? For we believe every one of us can read your word and when we are filled with your Holy Spirit can have understanding of your word. So teach us together as the body of Christ. We look to you, our head, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. You are no longer strangers and aliens is a tie back to what we began last week when we talked about the fact that Christ is our peace. Jesus Christ tore down that wall of hostility. And Paul's example was the wall of hostility between two different people, two different groups of people. Who were they? I'm going to make sure you track with us this morning. Who were the two groups of people that Paul said the wall of hostility has been torn down between? Jews and Gentiles. He says those near, which would be the Jews, and those far, which would be the Gentiles. He said that wall of hostility has been torn down in Jesus Christ. Christ is our peace. In his body, that was brought down, and it made us one. It joined us together so that we now, we who are Gentiles, now have access to the very same covenant that God has made and has made clear through the Jewish people. He's following that up by saying, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens. But there's really one point I want to make. The title of the message, A Dwelling Place for God, is making that point, and it comes from verse 22. It's the last uh, sentence that we read, the last verse that we read. It's the main point for today. It's what I think Paul has been driving us actually towards and uh, along the whole time. Even if you were to thumb back through chapter 1 and then through chapter 2, and he begins to lay out the incredible blessings we have in Christ. He begins to uh, lay out uh, those things we've received. He wants to have our eyes opened up to knowing what those things are, the hope that we're called, uh, all those things. And he begins to move us through this incredible grace that God has put it, uh, given to us so that we might be saved while we were still dead in our trespasses, all those things. And, he, and he's talking about now that we're, we're joined together. It's all driving towards this, I believe. In fact, I think it's what he's going to be basing the rest of his letter on. It's what he's going to be writing about to us for the rest of the letter. In him, in Jesus Christ, you also, all of you, 
everyone who names who is named by the name of Jesus, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May you notice once again in this one sentence, he has again included a nice, neat uh, reference to the Trinity. We had one last week. He says, for through him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. That was verse uh, 18. And now in verse 22, he does it again. In him, in Jesus Christ, you also, all of us, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit or through the Spirit or in the Spirit. Depends on how you want to read the Greek that's there. You can be translated in any of those ways, actually. Dwelling place. Last week, I made a big mention of the fact, and I tried to make a big mention of the fact, hopefully it came through, that uh, Christ is our peace. He's joined us together. We're, we're not talking about individual units. We're not talking about individual Christians. We're not talking about personal, like, like me. We're talking about us. He has made us one. He has joined us together. That's what Christ has done. That's the work of the cross. He has joined us together. And, he's, and I made that point because I want to make this point today. In Jesus we have become a dwelling place, and I want to be very clear from the outset that Paul's point is we are a dwelling place. How do I say this? Because I don't want to be heretical because we have Christ's Spirit living in us individually, no question about it. But that's actually not the point Paul's making. The point Paul's making is that we together, the body, has become a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Dwelling place is an interesting word. The Greek word is katoiketerion. It's a whole bunch of words put together. As you probably know, that's how the Greeks, uh, many languages actually do, uh, put uh, various words together to make a point. Uh, the root center point or part of that is, comes from the word oikos, which is the word that means house. You're going to see that popping up a number of times. I think it shows up four or five times in these two sentences that Paul just wrote to us, or that we just read this morning that Paul wrote. But kata is a strengthening form. So it, it's a dwelling place, and it's instructive when you look at the verb that's behind here, which is katoikeho, which means to house permanently. Again, if you, you know me, you have a handout on the backside, by the way, if you want to keep track of this kind of stuff, if you want to try to memorize this kind of stuff, uh, that's fine. You don't have to be a nerd like me. I love words like this. I love how, how it illustrates this. I don't care if you know the words. I, don't, I, I want you to understand the text based on what words are being used. And the word being used here, the, the root of the word that it just used there, the dwelling place, that we together are a dwelling place, is that to house permanently. Just, just let those words sink in. Because what is it saying that we're housing permanently? It's God through the Holy Spirit. So take your pick. But they're three in one, right? So it's really all of them. It's in Jesus. We're becoming a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. It's all of them. It's the triune Godhead. We have become a place for him to be housed permanently. I'll say it again. In some sense, this has been what Paul has been driving towards the entirety of the first two chapters. All of the other incredibly great stuff that we talked about, which got me super excited and hopefully got you super excited. You didn't act quite as excited as I did, but hopefully you were also as excited as I was about these incredible things that Paul was writing. And he's actually driving us to this point. We together, the body of Christ, their walls have been torn down. We've been joined together in Jesus Christ and we have become a place where Christ dwells permanently, where God dwells 
permanently. Where the Holy Spirit lives permanently. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, I told you there's one main point, but there's actually three sub-points I want to make as we spend our time. I'm going to put the three sub-points, make them based on three words. A couple of weeks ago, I got really excited because in Ephesians chapter, yeah, in Ephesians chapter 2, there's first uh, uh, 10 verses, the ones you were memorizing. We, we had all these together with words. Do you remember those together with words I kept talking about? Again, I don't know if this stuff sticks with you. Uh, I have a distinct advantage because I get to spend a lot of my time during the week uh, looking at this stuff. I, I really think you all should be jealous of me for that because it's an incredible privilege. Um, but uh, so it sticks with me a little, maybe a little better than it, maybe the rest of you because you hear it once on a Sunday morning. But uh, we talked about these incredible together with words. You remember them. I don't know if you, you don't even remember the Greek words. But you remember what the together with words were. They come back from uh, verses 5, 6, 7, 5 and 6 actually. They all three show up in chapter 2. What are those together with words? Do you remember them? You can cheat and look back if you need to. Help me out here this morning. We have been made alive together with. Suza apoyeho. We have been made alive again together with Jesus. There's the first one. Made alive together with. What's the second one? We have been raised together with. Sunagadro. We have been raised together with Christ. And the third one is? We have been seated with him. Suun Katidzo, we have been set down together with Jesus in the heavenly places. Now, I submit to you that he was actually using those words and now he's paralleling them because we're going to get three more together with words this morning. Three more words that he gave us that we are together with. And this time, the first time, they're all three things that we were, and we could have read them individually, although we also could have read them as corporately, but we could read them together individually like we were together with Jesus. These now are all of us together with Jesus. That's the distinction we're going to make. The first word comes from the first verse we read. It is the word sum polites. He says, you were, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. That's what that word means, to be a citizen together with or to be a member of the same town. I'll put the verse up there for you. You are no longer strangers and aliens. A stranger and an alien means to live someplace without having the rights of a citizen. That's what it means to be an alien or it means to be a stranger. That's what that word means. It means to live someplace without having the rights of a citizen. So when you are no longer that, but you are now fellow citizens, you are now so you are together with citizens. You are members of the same town, if you want to use those, that phrase, with the saints and you are members of the household of God. This was, this was what I spent some time talking about last week, that there is a nationality that supersedes all nationalities. There is, there is a, a, a race that supersedes all race. There's a bloodline that supersedes all bloodlines. It is the nationality. You can't use that word with Christ. But it is the nation. It is the kingdom of God. It is the bloodline of Christ. It supersedes every other line of demarcation that you can make and that we do often make. And he says here, listen, you are no longer living like people who are living in a land but don't have any rights anymore. You are now all of you together with. You are citizens together with. You belong together. You now have the rights of a citizen in the kingdom of God. That's where you are. 
That's where all of us are. That's where anyone who has named the name of Jesus, who has hidden themselves in Christ, who has availed themselves to this amazing grace, who while they were dead in the trespass and sin, that they used to walk in one, at one time, realized that Jesus made them alive together with, uh, with Jesus, with himself, and that Jesus rose them up with himself, and that Jesus was, uh, he, they were seated with Jesus as well. All of those people who fit those, that definition, we are now fellow citizens and saints with the members of the household of God. But I want to focus on that last phrase because it's really where he's going to spend the rest of his time in those verses and the members of the household of God. Because it's, it's not some vast domain where you are some nameless, faceless person living out in the wilds of nowhere and no one knows who you are. That's not the picture I'm trying to create. We are, that's why he does this, I think. We are fellow citizens with the saints but we are members of the household of God. You see how that's different, by the way? To say that you are a citizen of the United States means that you can be a pretty nameless, faceless person, and lots of people really have no idea who you are. Pretty much everyone in this room fit that definition, right? We're not really known. I don't know that any of us are really known by the broader world or kingdom that we live in. But it's entirely different to say that we are members of a household, for you know every member that's in your house, don't you? In fact, for most of us, we know every member of our, that lives in our house very intimately. We live with them, right? We see them all the time, coming and going. We know the, their foibles. We know their strong points. We get along sometimes, and sometimes we don't get along so well. We are members of the household of God. God is much more personal than just, hey, you're now in the kingdom of God, and he's this king on his throne, and you're some serf. If you know what that word is, S-E-R-F, not S-U-R-F. You're some surf slaving away down here in the unknown. We are members of the household of God, and it's upon this theme, this house, that he's going to build the rest of his case, leading us back into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let me take us, well, let me just take us a few verses before we go there. I was going to give you this reference to just reinforce what I was saying, that we are citizens in the kingdom Paul wrote to the Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see yourself? That your citizenship is in heaven? say that because I think there's a, <laughs> there's a fairly big struggle, I think, in us as to which citizenship we really proclaim or carry, which citizenship takes priority. We are, of course, citizens of this country. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This house that he began to talk about, he says, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. So you think about a house being built and the foundation being laid. You think about the cornerstone, the, the, the central piece that's holding the whole thing together. Once again, I want you to, um, I want you to see this is not some impersonal, vast kingdom, some domain that you were a faceless person, but it's a household, and Jesus Christ is the 
cornerstone. He's right there. He's close. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I have my reasons for saying this, uh, but I suggest to you that Paul, when he says that, I know we often translate that, and I would not say it's totally incorrect, but we often translate that as he's referring to the New Testament apostles and the Old Testament prophets. I actually think he's just talking all about New Testament people. He's talking about the New Testament apostles and New Testament prophets. I say that because in chapter 3, he's going to use the same phrase, and he talks specifically there in verse 5, I think it is. In chapter 3, he talks specifically there about uh, that they are revealing things that were not revealed to people long ago, but they now know that the gospel is for the Gentiles and not just for the Jews. Um, so I think he's really talking about all post-Jesus, post-resurrection apostles and prophets. It doesn't really matter, but the foundation, uh, the point he's making is the foundation that is laid is to those who speak of who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And Jesus himself is the cornerstone. It is this household and it is this idea that we must find ourselves being brought into, that we, and here's the phrase I've used before, I think, but we are not lone ranger Christians. We don't exist in a vacuum. We also don't have every part and every gift and every ability in ourselves. We have strong things, strong points, if I use that phrase, because I can have a counterpart then, but we also have weak points, don't we? We have some things we see very clearly, and we have some very big blind spots. I do. I do. Ask my wife, ask my family, ask any of you, because I'm sure you know it too. I have some things I'm good at. I have some things that I'm really not that good at. I have some very blind spots. I have some things that I see so clearly, and some things that I really just don't see very well at all. It is to this we are brought, being brought to. The first word is that we are citizens together with. Sum politis. The second word is this Greek word, sun armologeho, which again is a big long word put together, but it really just means to be joined closely together with. Again, I don't know if you've caught this. I think I may have said this before, but it's the prefix. Uh, sometimes it's S-U-M, S-U-N, S-U-G, but it's really the prefix uh, soon, which means together with. That's, that's, that's why the together with is there with everyone. So it's really Paul taking a whole bunch of words and saying, you know what this word means? I'm just going to tell you that you're this together. You know what this word means? I'm going to tell you you're this together. You know what this word means? I'm going to tell you you're this together. And in this case, he's saying, armolageho means to be joined very closely, very tightly fitted. I think some translations even read that way, that you're tightly fitted. You're very tightly fitted, and you're together. Like, it's not just you and one other person, but you're tightly fitted together. All of you are joined together. This structure that is being built. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone, the apostle, the prophets, the foundation. And in Jesus, the whole structure is being joined together and grows into a holy temple. I'll just put the verse there. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Each of us is being built as an individual Christian, and no doubt the Holy Spirit dwells in each of us. Scripture is clear that the Holy Spirit falls in us. But I also would uh, want you to look at all the examples of the New Testament where the Holy Spirit comes down and see how many times you're talking about a one-person event. Go ahead, do that in your spare time. I can give you a clue. It doesn't happen very often. We individually are recipients of the Holy Spirit when we confess our faith in Jesus Christ. But the point is being made in not just this verse, we're going to find this out, not just this text, we're going to find this out towards the end, by the, by the end today. But that all of us together are being built together into a whole structure, joined together, and together we are the holy temple in the Lord. By the way, 
let me just give you a clue. The holy temple that's being referred to there, there's a Greek word hieron, which is the word for the temple, meaning the whole structure. That's not the word that's used here. It's the more intimate term nahas, nahas, which means the holy place, the sacred place. It's the, referring to the sanctuary for the word nio. The, the, the verb nio means to, uh, to be near, to be close. So it's really referring to the holy place, the place where God's presence is. Not the entirety of the temple structure, like the outer court and all those things, but it is the sacred place, the place where God really dwells. We are being joined together. We grow into that kind of dwelling place, that kind of sacred place, that kind of place where God's holy presence is, the holy of holies. We are that. We together. And I say we to us this morning in this congregation, but I, I hope you understand. I mean, we, all of us who have confessed Christ, all believers. Now, it's a totally different discussion about the, the global church and the local church. I, I believe they're both biblical. But uh, in this context, it's we together are the body of Christ. We here at Riverview are the local expression of that body. But it is us who are being joined together. I want you to look at this verse here for just a little bit. Maybe I'll just read maybe longer because you're getting really a snippet of it. We're members of the household of God. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. It's in Jesus himself that uh, we are, that, that the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, because I want to read, you, just to you, uh, read to you just a couple of other ver- references to kind of cement that stuff in. When Jesus himself uh, gives what we call today the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says some very similar things. John chapter 17, I'm going to start reading in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, meaning those people right in front of him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Now sometimes we go through that, we get a little tripped up because Jesus seems to be saying the same thing over and over again. I and me, you and them, I and them, all, all kinds of things being coming one. But he's making this point of sun armalageho, that we are being joined together and built together and becoming the temple of God. He's making that point several times or several ways. I'm in you, Father. You're in me. I want you to be in them. I want them to be in me. I want all of us to be one together. That's the verse I put up there. I in them, you in me, so that they may become perfectly one. And there he really drives it home. He doesn't just use the same word. He emphasizes it. He, he makes it. A, he, he puts them together. So that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. We, come, we bump up into this a few times in scriptures. And I don't think you guys are, are strangers to this kind of understanding or teaching. But I think it's good for us to remind ourselves every, well, maybe just a lot. Not just every once in a while, but a lot. What do we do with the kind of intent that comes out of Scripture that makes it seem fairly clear to us that other people will know who God is based on how well we love each other? Did you catch that? What do we do with the intent of Scripture that makes it fairly clear that other people will get to know who God is based on how well we love each other. I think that's the point Jesus is making here. 
I am in them, in us, Jesus in us, and God in Jesus so that we may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that God sent Jesus and that God loves them just as God loved Jesus. You know, we sing a song, right? I'll know we are Christians by our love. And it slips out so easily and goes out the other ear so easily to you. I'm telling you, I think we need to be reminded of this a lot more often. And I think sometimes we get a little, we, we talk about love and loving others and that we have to love those people so they know that God loves them. Actually, I mean, there may be other evidence for that in Scripture. I don't want to, like, say that's not true. But I can think of several verses where actually the point that's being made is that we love each other, that we are united, we are joined, that the wall of hostility has been broken down between us so that it makes them see the power of God and what Jesus has done and makes them want to join as well. Why is it so hard to love those people that we call our brothers and sisters? The book of Hebrews, the writer is going to make a similar point. He's going to talk about the household of God and us being built into that household and us being together. But he's going to say some interesting things, so I'm going to read those verses for you. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. He's been making case of, of Jesus and comparing to Moses. So we're kind of jumping in the middle there. But for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our, conf our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We are his house. There's actually two points I want to make from the text that I just read to you. The first is, uh, well, just reinforcing the fact that, that we are his house. But I want, to make a, I, want to, I want to make a comparison with you. If you were to go back in the Old Testament and read, oh, Exodus, uh, end of book of Exodus, and then a lot of the rest of the books of Moses, if you were to go back and just think real quickly through the instructions that God gave Moses for establishing, for constructing the tabernacle and the dwelling place for God. Think very quickly through there. And tell me some things that you would Yet come to mind right away when you say, here's when God was giving instructions to Moses for building the tabernacle. Here's some things I think about that. What does that make you think of? For example, was God specific or was God kind of like, hey, I would like to dwell among you guys, uh, so go ahead and just build me something and I'll, I'll come. He was very specific. Or, for example, like, did God say, hey, I want to dwell, and here's how I want you to build it, but just use any old thing you'd like to. Or did he say, I want you to use some very specific things that are worth something? These are leading questions, so these are the easiest questions you have to answer all day. He's very specific, and he used very intentional, like, things that are worth something, right? Like, when you look at the tabernacle and the temple that would come later, you cannot look at it and say it was an accident, Nothing in that entire building was an accident. Nothing was there by mistake, and nothing was cheap. Now, in the text I just read to you, the writer of Hebrews makes the point that 
Moses received instructions from God about building something for God to dwell in, his presence to dwell in. And he actually did that to point ahead to Jesus because Jesus, who has more glory than Moses, was building a different kind of house, a different kind of temple. But if the first one was very exact and specific and very glorious and very uh, nothing cheap in it, it was very, uh, very uh, exquisitely put together, do you think it's going to be more or less so the one that Jesus builds? Do you think, do you think God is going to get cheaper or less specific or less? No. So you, I don't have to tell you what point I'm making, right? I don't have to tell you. The house that Jesus is building is far more glorious than the temple ever was. In all of its gleaming gold, in all of its fine silk, in all of its, all of its intricate details, all of its exactness, the house that Jesus is building is even more than that. But the second point I really want to make to you as well today, I think should always be made in church because we get a little too full of ourselves. Did you notice what the writer of Hebrews says? I think I turned away from it already, but he says that um, he says Jesus has more, uh, more glory than, than uh, Moses. But I want to read this line to you again. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Um, I told you there was the easy question before, but this is also a really easy question. So, but it's, it's, it's that way on purpose to make a point. Which is more glorious, the house that Jesus is building or Jesus, the builder? It's not even close, right? It's not even close. That's exactly what the text is saying. So while I am very, 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 very intent on giving us the encouragement and lifting us up and helping us to see that we are something precious in God's eyes, that we are the temple of God, that God's dwelling place is here among us as a body, and that is glorious, and that is not cheap, and that is perfect, and that's exactly how God wants it to be. Not, not saying we're perfect, but that, 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 that what he was doing was not a mistake. What I don't ever want us to do is to elevate the house above the builder. For the builder always gets more glory than the house itself. Let me yet quickly turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols, Paul writes? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, there is an entire sermon that could come out of that text. I read it to you simply to make the point that we are the temple of God, and the we, all the yous there in that text there are plural yous. They're not singular yous. I know we often like to read them that way. We often like to read them that way and think that it's applying only to us. But the point that Paul is making in this text is the same point he's making in Ephesians. We together, look at all the plural words being used. I will make my dwelling among them, them. And walk among, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
You can keep on reading. Now, he does have some you words down there, but again, those you words are actually plural yous. I have a little footnote at the bottom of my Bible, and you might have one at the bottom of your Bibles as well, that says that those yous there are plural yous. They're referring to you guys, if you want to use a colloquialism in the English. Hopefully that point has been made. Let me return back to my three Greek words, my together with words. Sun politeis, sun armalogeho. And the third word is from the verse that we started off with, sun oikodomeho, which means that we are being built together, to construct together with. Let me quickly point out to you that there is a verb tense change in this last one. The first two, if you, if your Bible translated them correctly, they should be in the past tense. We are fellow citizens. We have been made fellow citizens. And we have been joined together. We, uh, it says actually, in my, even in the ESV, it says we're being joined together, but we are joined together. It's a past tense thing. In this one, it is switched to a present tense. We are being built together. Joined together was the first one, the middle one there. We are being built together into a dwelling place. In other words, this is an ongoing work. And of that, it should be no surprise to any of us, right? For none of us are, have, have arrived or perfect. Though we are this glorious temple of God together where his, pleasant, his presence dwells among us, we don't have it all together and have it all right, do we? I don't. I told you that up front. I don't. You don't either. I hope it's no surprise to you. Which means we are being constructed together with each other. We are being built together. I'm going to tell you it's these three words that Paul is going to visit again and again and again with the rest of Ephesians. I don't know how often they'll be pointed out exactly. I'll do my best to point them out. But he's going to pick these themes up again and again and again as we read chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6 in the book of Ephesians. That we are citizens together with each other in Christ. That we are joined closely together with each other in Christ. And that we are being built together with each other in Christ. This house is in the process of being built. Someday it will be finished. If you've ever been part of a construction project, you know sometimes they, they drag on. They take a long time. I'm telling you, this is the longest one. It is the scope of time in which humanity exists that Jesus is building his house together. We are being one part of that in the middle of that. But we are a part of it. Again, that's why Paul's going to spend time talking about uh, being joined together, being citizens together, but also doing a work, being built together. We are being built together. Hopefully, we'll come out as we go through the text I want to leave that for now, but there's all kinds of things I think that should be running through our minds as we think about what it means to be built together, because it means that God is using not just his word and his spirit, which he does do that as well, but he's using us to correct and shape each other, and it's one thing to think about the being the one that's correcting and shaping someone else. It's something else to think about the fact that other people are also doing that to us, that we together are being built together so that we might be a holy dwelling place for God. I want to read two passages of scripture for you yet this, today. I had them listed in your handout if you, if you are looking at that. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 to 17. Not only is Paul going to develop these themes in Ephesians, I want you just to see this morning that I don't just make uh, these things up. and uh, Hopefully, I don't try to make these things up and uh, pull them out of one text and say that, that to make the Bible say something out of one text, it does not say somewhere else. So I want to just show you that this is, these themes are also um, represented in other scriptures. I'm going to read two passages for us. Hopefully not make a whole lot of comments about them, but two passages for us this morning yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. Paul referring to him and others who are also trying to bring people in the kingdom and make disciples. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And he 
Now he's going to talk about the same theme we had earlier here in Ephesians. Verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It will become known for the day, capital D, the day when Christ returns, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And then he says this. This is the whole point he's making. The work that we're doing, we're working together, building on this foundation. We together are the building. Do you not know that you, plural you, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. One quick comment. Again, we often interpret these verses or keep them strictly individual and personal. And, and I'm not saying it's completely wrong because I would also uh, recognize that God's Spirit dwells in us. But we often use them to encourage people to be careful how they treat their bodies. Again, not totally wrong, but not the point that's being made in the text here. The point is we ought to be very careful how we damage or destroy the body of Christ. For the body of Christ is God's temple. This is why we should be very careful how we speak of each other and how we treat each other and what we say about each other because we are saying and treating and doing that to someone who is a fellow building block in the temple of God as if we somehow are in some place different than they are. Peter picks up the same theme. Those were Paul's words. So I want to read something from Peter for you yet this morning. First Peter chapter 2, and I'll close with these verses. First Peter chapter 2, verse starting in verse 4. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected... I forgot to move my... I interrupted myself. I forgot to move my, my slide forward. Sorry about that. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, plural you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I read that final verse because I think the point has been made with all the other verses, but I want to loop back to the very first verse we read from Ephesians. If it is true that we, are, we once were strangers and aliens to God's kingdom, and we were in the world's kingdom, and we now are in God's kingdom, that by necessity means we should now see ourselves as strangers and aliens in the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. 
Thank you for the effectiveness that it carries. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and his ability to impact and teach us. I'm so grateful that you are a uh, wise, faithful, truthful instructor. Lord, I pray for anything that I may have said that was incorrect. I pray that you would reveal that to me so that I can make that correction or, and or that you would simply strike it from our records, our, our, our minds, that we would not know it or remember it anymore. Thank you for the body that you have given here to this local church body here, this, that these believers that are here. Thank you that you are building us together, that we are citizens together of the same country, of heaven. Thank you that we are joined together. We have been joined together because in Christ we have a peace. The wall of facility has been broken down and we are joined together. We're being built together, this household that we're part of. We're being built together into this house of which Jesus himself is the builder. And that we are being constructed together with that. That's an ongoing process that you, Jesus, use your word and your Holy Spirit and each one of us to help shape each of us that we might fulfill our part be participants without a doubt without a doubt father there's so much we have to learn and so much we can improve on without a doubt there's so much you have done in us already by your grace and I'm so grateful and thankful and we ask that you would teach us by the rest of the letter of Ephesians when we return to it to flesh out what it means, what it looks like to be constructed, to be built together with, into a dwelling place for you, God, by your spirit in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.